Good morning. Good morgen. Uh, thank you very much for giving me your time. Uh, thank you, Nick, for inviting me. My name is Casey Lam. I represent Invest Hong Kong, which is a Hong Kong government department, and we promote inbound investment from overseas into Hong Kong. Uh, as you know, the pandemic has hit us all very hard, and Hong Kong has been perhaps uh, a little bit more isolated than we're used to. And we haven't really been um, able to reach out to our friends overseas, and our friends overseas haven't really been able to reach us either. So during these three, four years, uh, there has been an absence of information about Hong Kong and what's happening in our part of the world. So what I'd like to do today is to perhaps give you an overview, a very brief overview of uh, what we see as being happening in our side of the world and perhaps to give you an idea of what's possible for your uh, businesses in, uh, in Asia. And of course, Hong Kong being a very central part of Asia, uh, we would, uh, I'm going to present a little bit about uh, the updates of what's happening in Hong Kong too. So, um, Invest Hong Kong, uh, shipping, this is working, okay. So, um, I'm going to talk about some uh, mega trends, macro uh, uh, trends that we see happening in our side of the world. China, of course, is the biggest uh, influencing um, power in our side of the world. Uh, Hong Kong is part of China, and as such, a lot of what happens in Hong Kong depends on what happens in China. Here you have a few words, one that says domestic circulation, the other says international circulation. What's happening in China is the GDP of China, uh, the expected GDP of China, is going to be about 17, 18 trillion dollars in 2023. Uh, people say China has been slowing down, uh, the growth in China is, 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 is gone, there's no more opportunity for, for, for going to that market. Well, the expected growth in China in 2023 is about 5.4, 5.5% uh, or thereabouts. And if we did the sums, 5.5% on $17, $18 trillion, that comes to about a growth of about a trillion dollars in 2023. That's adding $1 trillion to an economy that's already very, very large. What's a, what's a trillion dollars economy? That's about the size of Switzerland. So it's not a huge country, but it's not one to be neglected either. And so uh, the growth, and that's what we're adding uh, onto China, is $1 trillion in 2023. Now, with that, um, there is a lot that China and Hong Kong can benefit from, the, from, the, um, from the, that rising tide. The international circulation of that means that in China, they have this concept of internal, um, internal self-sufficiency in terms of production, in terms of consumption, and people in China a lot now are consuming what's produced uh, internally, domestically. But China is exporting, exporting a lot to Europe, a lot to Germany, and that's part of that external circulation. In the intersection between the domestic and the international circulation, uh, lies Hong Kong. We are the gateway for companies going out of China into the world and for the world into China. Increasingly, uh, that is the role that we're playing. Um, another megatrend um, that we are seeing is something called the RCEP, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. That's a tree, free trade pact, a little bit like the EU, but that covers 15 countries. These 15 countries comprise of China in the middle, so that's one big bit, 10 ASEAN countries in the south, that's Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, and so on. 10 ASEAN countries, two countries in the north, Japan, Korea, 
and two countries in the South, uh, New Zealand, Australia. Now, between us, between this whole region, we cover around one-third of the world's population and around one-third of the world's GDP. That's a lot of production and a lot of consumption, a lot of consumers. And increasingly, what we're going to see is a lot of regionalization of that trade. So previously, there was this globalization, a lot of you know, the supply chains that you guys have all seen in the last 10, 15 years will now probably become shorter. The energy crisis has dictated that the supply chains will become shorter. The energy that we're going to put into carrying bits uh, around the world between the point of production and the point of consumption needs to be closer. And regionalization really will be the order of the day. And this part is a very, very important trend that we will see uh, definitely 20, 20 years or more. Um, we expect um, this was actually signed into, into effect in 2021 and uh, came into force in 2022 for the vast majority of this country. So January 2022 was when it came to effect. We will, there's a, yeah, so we comprise, that will comprise about a third of the world's GDP. And we expect something like 90% or more of the trade within the region to be tariff-free by, some people said, 20, uh, 20 43, so 20 years from now. Uh, I think it will be even shorter, quicker than that. So a very, very high degree of free trade within the region is happening already. That will increase. And any company that wants to capture some of that flow, uh, we're in a maritime conference, we're talking logistics and transportation. People who are interested in capturing some part of that business will do well to be in that business. Uh, one of the speakers in the previous panel said, you know, if you're there, you can see and you can build relationships better, you can understand what's going on much better. And uh, it's true when, when we're talking about the European ETS, it's true about uh, doing Asia trade, and I think it's, in, it's difficult to avoid Asia trade. Um, and that simplification, that, that trend of growing uh, internal uh, domestic consumption within Asia will be definitely a defining factor, I believe, uh, of, of, the, of the next 20 years. Just very briefly, uh, within this region, you see, first of all, a north-south sort of trade uh, pattern. Uh, Hong Kong, sitting right in the middle of that, benefited traditionally from an east-west trade. So Hong Kong with Europe, Hong Kong with North America. That will be supplemented, not replaced, supplemented with north-south trade. So Geographically, Hong Kong is well-placed to capture the flow both north-south and also east-west. Uh, within the, the region, you see a wide range of products, uh, be it uh, from the services and technology in Japan, Korea, to the manufacturing consumption in China, to the more agricultural um, and, uh, and natural resources based in ASEAN and uh, Australia and New Zealand. And so actually within the region, there's a lot of complementarity within, within that region. Um, and Hong Kong is close to that, very, very close to that. We're part of China. And so Hong Kong is about to act about connectivity. And for those of you, who's been to Hong Kong, by the way? Ooh. <laughs> More than expected. Wonderful. Wunderschön. Um, I, yeah, so those of you who've been, who've been to Hong Kong will know very, very clearly that actually the, 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 the Hong Kong is actually very small and compact. And the region just north of Hong Kong is an area we have branded uh, the Greater Bay Area. Um, it used to be called the Pearl River Delta. Uh, the Pearl River runs... Uh, right past Hong Kong into the South China Sea, and uh, that has been rebranded recently into the so-called GBA, Greater, Bel uh, Greater Bay Area. And it is something that is 
in the national policy. You know, in China, everything's done through national policy top down. And in the 14th five-year plan, they said, we were going, were going to make the uh, GBA a successful, prosperous area, an area of policy prioritization. And so what does it actually look like? Well, it's an area, uh, it's a size, it's actually very, very small, 56,000 kilometers. Um, but it contains a very productive and highly educated and highly competitive population. Now, imagine this place was almost rural uh, 30 years ago. There was almost nothing there. Um, and as China uh, underwent some economic reforms, people from all over, all over China converged onto this place and made it, made it into what it is. When this policy was announced, um, the estimated population of the GBA was 72 million. And they did a census 15 months afterwards, and they censused... 86 million. So within the space of about 15 months, the population had grown by about 14, 15 million people. Now, this tells you something about the Chinese people's understanding of how the Chinese government works. If the policy says, we will make this area successful, people believe it and they will go and follow that policy. And all the most competitive people, young people in, in, in the country, converged onto Shenzhen. In fact, the average of Shenzhen is about 32 and a half years old. So it's a very young and highly productive um, uh, population. In fact, a friend of ours um, worked for Tencent, which is the equivalent of um, you know, Google um, in, 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 uh, in the US and so on. Oh, in Tencent and Alibaba, if, he said, if by the age of 35 you're not in management, you're out. So the queue, the wave of people coming in following you is so high, and these highly innovative companies need that new blood every, every year. In fact, China has about 11.5 to 12 million graduates marching out of university gates every year. That's a lot of graduates. And if we take only 1% of that, top 1%, that get into the Tencents and the Alibabas, that's a very, very competitive environment. And if you're not competitive, you can't survive in that 86 million. So that is a very, very productive um, area. And $1.9 trillion of GDP, that's a lot. That's huge. Um, comparable, apparently, to Australia, uh, Spain, and so on. But you know, it is a... It's an economy in itself. And what does that mean for Hong Kong? Well, Hong Kong is actually a service center. 95, 98% of the GDP of Hong Kong comes from services. We don't make anything anymore. We don't grow anything anymore. We don't, you know, the carrots and, 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 and chickens that we eat comes from the mainland and, and overseas. So most of our GDP comes from, comes from uh, services. And so that services industry complements the technology, innovation, and manufacturing powerhouse that's across, across the border, and that makes a very, very powerful and attractive combination. So if you are here um, you know, looking for opportunities for growth, um, earlier uh, Knut mentioned the 3Ds, 4Ds. So it was Nick who mentioned 4Ds. Um, decommunization, uh, disruption, uh, digitalization, uh, and diversification. You said diversity, I would say diversification. Um, diversification, I think, is also the order of the day. And if we're doing something mostly in a Europe, perhaps something in Asia could be on your cards. And if you're doing something in Asia, maybe something like Hong Kong could be something you could consider. Um, the GBA looks a bit like this. I'm going to skim over this. Lots of cities. And because it's a planned economy, everybody's been assigned a role to focus on. So these are nine cities in the mainland, plus the two SARs, Hong Kong and Macau. So what is Hong Kong? Hong Kong is a place for business opportunities. 
Um, first thing that people talk about, think about when people think about Hong Kong is money, taxes, um, how much you can save, opportunities for making money. In Hong Kong, corporate tax is, there's only one tax, by the way, for, for companies, and that's profits tax. And profits tax is standard at 16.5%. And the good news is if you're a small company or marginally profitable, the first 2 million Hong Kong dollars, or roughly 250,000 euros, is taxed at half the standard rate. So that's actually a very, very favorable tax for those companies that are starting out and, uh, and making your way into Asia. If you're uh, making a loss in the first year or second year, or in any given year, yeah, you can actually carry that loss forward to offset future income until you get to a net positive profit position, and then you're taxed. So we don't actually tax you if you're not profitable. And secondly, if you're an owner of a company in Hong Kong and you pay yourself as a shareholder in dividends, dividends, by the way, are not taxed, 0% tax. So if you remember nothing from my talk today, remember the number zero, zero, please, 0%. Uh, dividends tax in Hong Kong, okay? Um, we, are, we want to be carbon neutral. <laughs> Somebody said <laughs> zero, zero ships, uh, zero percent um, uh, dividends tax. And also the good news about this is if you want to start or own a company or incorporate a company in Hong Kong, you need a minimum, minimum of one shareholder and one director. In fact, it used to be two shareholders, two directors. We actually simplified that by half. So one shareholder, one director, and one Hong Kong dollar. <laughs> minimum registered capital. Of course, companies register more than that. But any, that, those two people, by the way, can be the same person, and that person does not need to be a Hong Kong resident. So any one of you sitting in this room can today be the owner and the uh, director of a, of a Hong Kong uh, registered company. Uh, the registration process is very straightforward. Uh, roughly 2,000 euros, uh, typically, to get someone to do it for you. You can do it yourself if you want to, but I'd say, you know, get someone to do it for you is very easy. Uh, opening the bank account is a little bit more challenging and more time-consuming, time but uh, it, it, uh, it will, uh, it's a necessary step, and everybody faces that, the same problems. Um, also, by the way, if you are... Um, employing people in Hong Kong, the salary taxes are very favorable as well. If you employ people in Hong Kong on a part-time basis, you can allocate part of the uh, salary in Hong Kong uh, to the Hong Kong uh, activity, and you can actually, through that, minimize his or her um, employment salary tax liability. Uh, Hong Kong is a center for foreign companies. Uh, around 9,000 companies um, have, their, uh, have an office in Hong Kong. Uh, around 1,400 have a regional headquarter in Hong Kong. Uh, that number is uh, fairly stable at the moment through the three years of pandemic. Uh, some companies have left, some companies have come, uh, but that, company, that number is, is set, we believe, to grow in the, in the coming future. Uh, people say uh, one elephant in the room is, well, Hong Kong, is that just another Chinese company, uh, Chinese city? Well, it is a Chinese city, but it is not just another Chinese city. Why? Well, actually, if you look at the number of... Um, companies, foreign, foreign, non-Hong Kong companies that are set up in Hong Kong, the number one source of companies comes from the mainland. Now, Hong Kong is a pretty expensive place, and if a company chooses to set up in Hong Kong, there must be a good reason. And the reasons are it is that gateway uh, 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 role that Hong Kong has for the internationalization of companies from the mainland outbound. And also for those companies that are sitting physically in Hong Kong, their perspective and their decision-making process is, very, is substantially different from one which is, for example, sitting in Shanghai or, or Beijing. And similarly, uh, number five investor uh, into Hong Kong is Singapore. And the other elephant in the room is, well, everybody's going to Singapore. Why, why consider Hong Kong? Well, actually, the answer is here. 
the Singaporean companies are actually also coming to Hong Kong. Why? Because they want to access that whole thing we talked about, you know, that growing GDP of China and so on. So there are distinct reasons why Hong Kong has a role. We're not saying Singapore's good or bad. We're just saying it is another op uh, option for people to have. I say why vanilla or chocolate? Why not vanilla and chocolate? And I think it's often a, 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 a false decision a false choice. You don't have to choose either or. You can have both. And in fact, a lot of companies do do that. Um, Hong Kong, some of you, many of you have been doing business there, is a free port. We have no restriction and free flows on people, goods, <coughs> capital, and information. So there is an import tariff, an export tariff on everything except tobacco, liquor, not even wine, so wine is, is tariff-free, but anything above 30% alcohol is, is taxed, and hydrocarbon fuel in cars. So vast, vast, vast majority of goods is able to come into and out of Hong Kong tariff-free. The only thing you need to do is just declare it at customs, tell the people what's in that box, and you know, have X number of shoes or X number of PlayStations, whatever, and it can go through. You don't even need permission for that, so you just need to, to, to declare it. Hong Kong is well-known for... Uh, for all those things, I'm not going through all of them, but I think most of you will realize that actually your service center in Hong Kong is going to be very, very uh, advantageous in terms of, of, the, of the availability of those professionals and also the system under which they work. The common law system that we operate in China, uh, that we operate in Hong Kong, is a, a, a very well-accepted uh, system for international trade. Hong Kong, I preempted this one, is one country... Two systems. Who's heard of one country, two systems? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in, I don't have much time. I'll very quickly go over this. In 1984, when Britain was negotiating the handing over of China, of Hong Kong back to China, uh, one of the things that they agreed, Beijing agreed on, is to maintain the Hong Kong way of life for 50 years after the handover. So in 1997, Hong Kong was handed over back to China, and there was a guarantee from Beijing that Hong Kong's way of life, including all the systems in it, our legal system, the independence of our judiciary and so on, uh, our currency as a customs, separate customs jurisdiction, everything was to be maintained uh, in Hong Kong. Only two things were taken care of by China, defense and foreign affairs. Everything else was actually taken care of by Hong Kong. And under that one country, one country two systems, we're guaranteed of that for 50 years until 20, 2047. Now, last year, in 2022, President Xi of China came to Hong Kong on the anniversary of the handover. And uh, he had, at that stage, not been outside the country at all because of the pandemic. And he came to Hong Kong especially for one thing on the anniversary of the handover, which was exactly the 25-year mark of that 50-year period. And he came to announce that actually one country, two systems, is a system that works well for Hong Kong and that it must continue in the long run. What does that mean? That means that actually the expiry period of 50 years that Hong Kong had on the one country has just been lifted. So beyond 2047, Hong Kong will still be Hong Kong. Hong Kong will still be regarded as a reliable uh, jurisdiction for enforcement of contracts, for example. Um, he did say the independence of the judiciary in Hong Kong was very, very key, and our common law system was also very key to the, uh, to the advantage of uh, competitive advantage of Hong Kong. And he said, those also must continue. So essentially, what he came to do in 2022, and halfway mark, and say, right, to you guys, don't worry, we're going to keep Hong Kong exactly as it is, and you will continue with, with what you were doing before. 
And Hong Kong is at the heart of the region. I'm going to just repeat that. I think this picture is incredibly important. Uh, take good note of those and the acronym RCEP. I think that will figure largely in people's, in companies' five-year plans, in, um, in maybe some countries' uh, engagement policy with the region. I think that will be something to watch out for. Yeah, and finally, a few words about myself and our organization, Invest Hong Kong, is a Hong Kong government department. We offer free and confidential uh, support uh, services to potential uh, investors that are thinking of setting up something in Hong Kong. We do a hand-holding process right from the initial planning stages through the establishment and also after the incorporation of the company in Hong Kong. Um, we have a network of 33 offices around the world. Uh, my colleague, uh, Eddie, here is from our Berlin office, uh, but we are organized by sector, um, by sector, industrial sectors, and I'm responsible for transport industrial. So you guys, please do get in touch with me uh, if you have uh, some, some ideas about what you want to do in, in, in Asia and Hong Kong. And finally, that's my uh, con contact information. Thank you very much.